Good morning. I didn't sleep at uh at Mark's house, so I got about an hour more sleep than usual, so that's good. When when I come here, I'm always thankful for the hospitality, so I always like to mention it, you know. For every uh every meal, every cup of coffee that somebody is probably in the kitchen right now preparing a meal and I think uh it's important to note that because that's their that's their ministry. That's their place in the body, and hospitality is kind of an an undervalued and underappreciated gift of God. And I think I think there's something wrong with that. I think there's something wrong if we come to a place of entitlement or expectancy. And I feel deep gratitude every time I come here, and I always like to mention it for 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 everything, for the beds, the, the warmth, the, the food. It's 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 a gift of God, and it's a ministry that uh, that should always be greatly valued and, and appreciated. So, with that, let me pray. Lord, thank you, thank you for your word. Help us always to count it as a privilege and an honor to be ambassadors for you. Help us not to count it as a light thing, but with all sincerity of heart, with all sober-mindedness. Help us to speak as those who speak the oracles of, as the oracles of God. Um, help us to all just have an eternal, eternal weight when we handle your word. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And let nothing untrue, unwholesome, theologically inaccurate, even if necessary, edit the words as they exit my mouth. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I'm going to be speaking on the issue of uh, the issue of living in light of eternity and the con some of the consequences of not doing so. And I've spoken on this subject. I've wrote on this subject. And every single time I walk away feeling as if I fell, I fell short. And when I'm, it's such a significant issue. I never quite feel that I walk. I never walk away from it feeling like I communicated the weight of it and even preparing it I was thinking through it over and over and I think over time sometimes I've strayed I've started to stray away from the subject for that reason but I don't think it's right to do so I think some of the, the some of the significant significant issues even if we feel inadequate to communicate them we should strive to be led by the Holy Spirit in doing so anyway because it's important so some of the consequences of eternity, living in light of it, what does it mean? Colossians 3, 1 through 2, it says, Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on the things of this earth. And I think uh, what the brother shared starting out has some significant uh, 
relation to it all, right? If, if eternity is really at stake and what we do and how we live, the way we live and what we share, that's going to actually come down to everyday grit and grime practicalities of how we live our life. If there is such a thing as a heaven, if there is such a thing as a hell, and it's not just some, how uh, the scriptures say, cleverly devised fables, if it's not just the figment of our imagination, there's going to have impact in our day-to-day living if we really believe that to be true. If we really believe that to be true, it's almost like... <clears throat> If I told you right now there's a guy outside the door there, and every time you walk out, every, every person walks out of that door, he, he clubs them with a baseball bat. There's going to have some implication into your behavior from that moment on, on whether or not you walk out of that door. If you walk out of the door anyway, either A, you didn't believe what I have to say, or you got some, you're a freak for pain or something like that. But the everything we truly believe, if it doesn't come down to our everyday feet, the grit and grime of the practical ways of how we live our lives, we cannot say it really, we really believe it. And I, in one area in particular, I, I think about this is the issue of hell. Nobody likes to think about the issue. Nobody likes to even ponder it because it's, I mean, it's a terrifying subject. But if I ask, if we asked each other, and no matter who we walk up to in a congregation like this, if we say, well, do you believe in the issue of hell? We would all probably say, yeah, we believe in the issue. But yet, if I don't speak to my dearest family member, my next of kin, who I know is wafering in the things of God, whose heart is growing cold, either A, I lack belief, or B, I lack love. It can't be too much in between on the subject, right? Either A, I lack belief, I don't really believe it. Or I lack love and compassion for the brother's soul. So the issue of eternity, I got four areas in particular. There's many, but I think these four areas are important where a lack of an understanding and lack of an eternal perspective has great impact. And number one, I got listed here is in the proclamation of the word of God. If anyone needs to feel the heart of eternity bearing down upon them is the, pre- the preacher, the teacher, those who would endeavor to handle the word of God. James 3.1 says, Not many of us should desire to be teachers, fellow believers, because you, you know that they who teach will stand a stricter judgment. And I think about this subject in my own life. I talk a lot, I preach a lot. But do we approach the sacred task of teaching and preaching with eternity's values in view? Do we handle the word of God as those who will one day give account? Do we handle the word of God knowing that the scripture says, by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned? Do we handle the word of God as, as if the scripture says that any idle word that a man shall speak, he shall give account for it on that day? Do we come to it with a reverence and a fear, knowing that James calls the tongue an ungodly world of iniquity? He says, if any man could tame that tongue, he is a perfect man. Do we, as hearers even, pray 
for those who are teachers among us, knowing that they're more likely to come under the assault of Satan because their position as a teacher or a preacher, they're more likely to do damage for this damage to the body of Christ. Do we ever come to it with a degree of seriousness that we ought? How often do even we as ministers handle the word of God without an overarching sense of the seriousness of what we are about? And I think that loss of an eternal perspective and the seriousness that heaven and hell is at stake, eternity, what we are about at this moment has eternal consequence. It affects a lot in the proclamation of God's word. It affects how we prepare. It affects how we pray. It affects our study. And to lose light of that perspective. I think it's to do damage to the body of Christ. I believe it with all of my heart. Remember, what Christ constantly warning people, be careful how you hear, hearken how you hear. Christ constantly warned us, even as, as congregants, Christ warned us to be careful how we hear. But if we have no deep belief that eternity itself is being impacted by the proclamation of God's word, we become slothful hearers. And I think we've all been guilty. I'm not, to even, I'm not talking from a position of attainment. I'm talking from a position of, of conviction. Even at preparing this, even as like I'm writing, I'm typing this stuff out, and I'm just, as I'm typing, I'm coming under deeper and deeper sense of conviction that perhaps there is some seriousness of it all that used to be alive in my soul that I've let kind of wane a bit. Think about this for a second. Last week, whoever preached, maybe it was Jacob or one of the elders here spoke. Think about our disposition at the preaching of that word. Now, is it too much to say that Jacob or whoever shared here, is it too much to say that that individual was sent from God, from a God who knew before the foundations of the earth that they would be speaking those particular words to this particular set of people? Is it too much to say that the words that were shared were words of life that were sent by God and it was God's provision knowing that we are in an eternal battle and that that is the substance that God has provided for us for that moment? Week after week, do we hear the proclamation of the word of God from this particular podium as having the same authority as it did when Peter proclaimed the word of God on the day of Pentecost? Because how we put a lot on speakers, but I think Jesus put a lot on the hearers. I think Jesus put a lot on, more so on hearers than he did even on the, on the proclaimers. He constantly warned us about being slothful hearers. And the brother mentioned, what are you going to do with that which you hear and that which you study and comes into your consciousness? Because remember, I think it's in James, it says that those who hear the word of God are hearers only and not doers. They deceive themselves or like a man who looks in the mirror and quickly walks away forgetting what he looked like, that he was once cleansed from his sin. So there is actually a self-deceptive component to consistently hearing the word of God and not putting it into action. Because we think ourselves, we think our, we could, there's a way that we can take 
theology as and knowledge as being reality. But I could tell you, I've met men who teach professionally in, semin in, cemetery, in seminaries that Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, schooled in theology, school can speak Hebrew and Greek, and you sit down and drink a coffee, cup of coffee with the man, and you wonder if he's saved at all. And yet he's there proclaiming the word of God, preach, not te preaching, but teaching the word of God in the college level course and he's just as dead on the inside as anything that man is walking in the form of self-deception because we equate often equate knowledge as being reality sometimes knowledge is just knowledge sometimes people have knowledge just because they have excellent memories sometimes people can expound on the things of God merely because they're good orators and they're gifted and they could be talking about any subject and they will still have that gift that remains that they're good at uh, articulating but that could have a deceptive component to it in and of itself if we don't walk in the things that we hear look at the admonition given in Peter in 1 Peter 4 7 through 11 it says the end of all things it is as near it bringing eternity in view. And this is what it says. Because the end of all things are there. Therefore be alert, sober-minded, that ye may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift that you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. If anyone speaks... This is, I, I don't know, I've never, I've read this verse a million times, but it's never impacted me, I don't think, like it should have. It says, if any man speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Now think about that passage for a second. If anyone who speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. What does that mean? What is, what is the disposition and the character that that's, what does that verse suggest in the speaking of the word of God? Even in the preparation of this message, like I said, I was brought on the conviction of something that used to be probably more alive than me at one point that has kind of waned. When was the last time, I think, when was the last time that I spoke with a so, the sober-minded reality, the sober-minded perspective that the words that we speak are the very words of God? Eternity is at stake. Or are we just proclaiming cleverly devised fables? I'm convinced that there's consequences to losing that eternal perspective in the proclamation of God's word. And I believe, among other things, for the preacher, it creates a lack of the fear of the Lord, even though those who teach will stand the stricter judgment. It creates a lack of the fear of God. That scripture comes to mind when it says this one. God says, this one will I look, the one who has clean hands, a pure heart, and who trembles at my word. And I think about that because Paul said, you see, Paul, what he was writing at one point, he says, you saw how I came to you in weakness and in trembling and in fear. What does Paul mean? His disposition is different, I think, than ours is often. So for the preacher, I think the lack of an eternal perspective it creates a lack of the fear of the Lord in his proclamation. 
And for the hearer, I think it creates a lack of expectancy. If the weight of eternity is not coming to bear on our preaching and on the hearing of the word of God, then our Sunday gathering could become nothing more than a mere formality and a tradition. We come just because it's something that we do and we've set up a time frame and it could just be, it's, it's unconscious. It's not something that people are purposely, uh, purposely doing. It's just the nature of humanity is to be lulled to sleep. It's our, it's our natural state, and if we don't shake ourselves into sober-mindedness, then the gathering becomes just a mere formality. Eventually, there's no seriousness or no expectation at all. And what if, because of this lack of expectancy, the Lord proclaims the same thing that he proclaimed to careless hearers in his day? Remember, the disciples went to Jesus and they're like, hey, why are you speaking to these guys in parables? Why don't you just speak plainly to these folks like you're speaking? And this is what he said. He says, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even that which he has should be taken away from him. I don't know. I'm saying what if. But what if that is the Father's disposition, that whoever has at this moment the attentive hearer, more will be given. And for those who are not attentive and expecting and looking with eternity's eyes at the proclamation of the seriousness of his word, baby, just baby, the secrets of the kingdom are being hidden from their eyes as well. If we are honest with ourselves, how many of us could see that we came here this morning expecting anything more than three songs in the sermon. That's an honesty question. How many of us came with inspected hearts knowing that at the proclamation of God's word we could hear something that has eternal value and worth, something that we can take along with us and that will change the very course and trajectory of our faith? How many of us came expecting to in some sense, some way, somehow to meet with God? Or is he not present? Is there, not a, is there not at the proclamation of his word a record being made of eternity? There's a scripture, I cannot recall where it's at, it's in the Old Testament. It says that, it talks about this book of remembrance, and it says I was it was noted those who were together and speaking upon his name. How many of us came to even today with the knowledge that what we are about at this moment and the proclamation and the hearing of God's word has some eternal ramifications. If not, what are we doing here? Thank you. I think that was the Lord there because I was 
wanting before I walked up here to get up and get me a glass of water, but I didn't want anybody to do it. Another area, number two, a lack of an eternal perspective expect, impacts our ability to persevere under difficult circumstances. Think about this. By a show of hands, who can remember the last time they heard a sermon on the issue of reward? There's not a single hand raised. I couldn't raise mine either when I thought about this. And why is it? Because Jesus spoke repeatedly on the issue of reward. Even some of the last recorded words in the very last chapter of the Bible, the, the book of Revelation, Jesus explains, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to render unto every man according to the deeds he's done in his body. So Jesus consistently spoke on this issue of, of reward. No, in your father's house there were many rooms. I go to prepare a place. If it wasn't so, I shouldn't, I would have, I would have wouldn't have said it. I wouldn't have told it to you if it wasn't so. The issue of reward. Not every anybody who's forsaken uh, had lands and family, they will be uh, a hundredfold. However, there was, somebody quote this verse for me. I'm missing it. Whoever has left family, homes, in their, the verse talks about the recompense of reward. But I'm convinced that often the degree that we seek to advance the kingdom of God to that same degree we are opposed by the flesh, the world, and the devil, and it is that opposition that brings us to the point of pondering reward. And I think sometimes we have it pretty nice as reason why we don't think about the issue of reward. In Hebrews it says, Some, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult, persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who, were tr who mistreated you. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Because why? Because you knew that ye yourselves had a better lasting possession. So, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. So you think, what gave these people that, that faith chapter, this ability to, to endure? It wasn't that they had life good. It's that they were looking for a reward. They were looking towards it. And I think sometimes I think the reason that we don't speak about reward is just a mere luxury because we don't have it so hard, right? Things are pretty nice. But I could bet, I bet, I bet, you know, the old expression, I bet my bottom dollar, they do right now. There's some guy who's sitting in a North, Korea, North Korean concentration camp because of his faith. And he didn't have to be in that position. I guarantee you, what is it that's sustaining that man at that moment is his, his heavenly reward that he knows that one day the Lord will wipe away every tear, that one day things will be made perfect and things will be made right. Without a, without a perception of the issue of reward, you'll never live as you ought because we'll never, we'll never uh, we'll never stand under the weight of the, the denial of self for the advancement of God's kingdom. We'll never put ourselves in difficult situations for the advancement of God's kingdom if we knew that there, if we didn't have a serious understanding that God will recompense you. And we know this is important because look at this scripture. It says uh, this issue of reward in Hebrew it says, without faith is it possible to please God, right? But then it goes on and says, 
Whoever comes to God must first believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So why are these two mentioned together? There's faith. He says you got to have faith to please God. And then it says, but if you come to me, you got to first believe that I am and that I am the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Why? Why you got an issue of reward? Because it is a tumultuous, laborious thing. The, script, the scripture declares our position in the earth as Christian as being sheep among wolves. And Paul was probably a difficult dude to hang out with. And I think it's the same Demas, the guy named Demas in the Bible mentioned twice. And it's the saddest, I think he's one of the saddest characters in all of scripture. At one point it says, and they argue whether it's the same Demas, but I think it is. And they say, one, one point they say Demas, they mention him as fellow, fellow laborer with Paul. And the next, ver the next time you hear this name Demas, it says that, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Any degree of self-denial for the sake of the kingdom has an issue of sufferance and perseverance and, endu and endurance, and you will not stand under the weight of that if you have no serious understanding that one day it will all be made perfect, and one day it will all be made right, and God is indeed a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I believe it today. Many of us have embraced the fact that God is, but we hesitate in our embrace of the fact that he is a rewarder of those who diligently serve him. One of my favorite verses in scriptures in Hebrews Women received their dead in Hebrews 11, 35. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they may obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn and sundered. They were tempted, were slain by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute and afflicted. They were tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, having obtained the good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should be not... They should not be made perfect apart from us. So the reason these folks can endure tells you right there in the passage because they looked forward to their reward. It says these all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen it afar off and were persuaded of it and therefore professed that they were strangers and pilgrims of the earth. They were looking towards their reward, not their earthly reward. Not thinking about and preaching about and speaking about the issue of reward. It's just a luxury that we have because we're not on the front lines being opposed by the powers of darkness. We're not advancing the kingdom as we ought. And I'm speaking to myself as well. God is saying about perseverance. Since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. That invisible cloud of witnesses. You have to have a, a sense of eternity to take that scripture as it ought to be heard. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us draw off 
throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured. For the joy set before him, he endured. What was the joy set before him that gave him the capacity to endure? That one day he would be back in his original position, back with the Father in his exotic state. He would be back home. The same thing that gave Christ the ability to endure the tumultuous nature of the task that was before him is the same thing that we need to have our eyes set upon. So what about us? What about the fact that Jesus said he's coming quickly and his reward is with him? Do we really believe that there is indeed a heavenly reward? Sure, theologically we have to say, yeah, there's a heavenly reward. But theology ain't good enough. Have we finally settled it into our heart? The issue of reward impacts our ability to persevere. Now, this is how this works. I believe it. Imagine, imagine right now you was working a difficult job, like a difficult job. You're coming home. Your hands are all busted up. Your knuckles are busted up. Your hands blistered. And every day you, you have to spend less time with your family because this job is demanding of you. It's difficult. There's part of it that you despise, but you keep doing it. And what's worse yet, you don't get paid right away. Your boss told you that, hey, this is going to be a difficult job, and you ain't going to get paid till next year. You got to wait a year to be paid. But you keep doing it anyway because you know the reward. The end, at the end of the day, you know what you're going to get paid is so much greater than the task that you have to perform. Now, you're diligently working, right? But suddenly, the company is struggling. So your boss comes to you and says, hey, look, I know what I said to you. I know a year from now I said you're going to get paid X number of dollars, but, you know, I can't guarantee it. Um, the company is struggling right now, and in the future we might have, uh, we might have some cuts. But, but you need to, I, I, I hope you understand, but I hope you keep working. Just keep working anyway. How hard would it be for you to work if there was no certainty of your reward? What would, how would you be feeling as you work? Would you be working diligently? If you had no assurance at the end of that year you would receive your pay? No, you wouldn't. But I think that's how some of us are in regards to our eternal reward. Could it be that the real reason, and this is an honesty question, could it be that the real reason we do not endure self-denial is because secretly we believe that there's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? Could it be that the reason we refuse to sacrifice our Isaacs is because we do not believe that there's truly a ram caught in the bush? Perhaps the secret reason we're unwilling to suffer for the advancement of the kingdom is because we really do not believe that there is a reward waiting for us on the other side. Could it be that we live such, in such a way 
that just in case there's no reward in eternity, we make sure we get some of our reward right now? That's an honesty question. And if I'm honest with myself, there have been times that I have lived that way. It's almost like I heard a preacher preaching one time, and he said, uh, he said, in Australia, men have yachts, and they drag little boats behind safety boats called dinghies. And he said, sometimes we're like, we're on that boat with Jesus, and we're saying, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you say go. But Jesus looks back, and he sees that dinghy, and he says, well, what's that? And we say to him, well, that's just in case. <laughs> it's harsh, but man, have we ever been there? Have we ever been found to be living our lives just in case there's no reward in eternity? I won't give all today just in case I'm doing it all for nothing. If we do not gain an eternal perspective on our heavenly reward, we'll always seek to have some of it right now. And why is that problematic? Because Satan will always have something to throw at us to distract us from the things of God. Think about the world. All that is in the world, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the wicked one. And whoever loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All the little distractions and the diversions will always be subject to if we, do, if we don't understand that if we endure today, you can only grab hold of heaven, I'm convinced. We can only grab hold of heaven to the degree that we're willing to let go of earth. A third one is uh, not having an eternal perspective. It, it impacts our urgency in the mission. I believe the reason we often lack urgency in mission is because we have not come to terms with eternal consequences of our silence. How should they hear without a preacher? How should they preach if they are not sent? Think about it. The scripture says we are the ambassadors of Christ as if God himself was pleading to the world, be ye reconciled. Corinthians 2 Corinthians 5, 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according what he has done, whether good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men. When was the last time you persuaded a man knowing therefore the terror of the Lord? That verse convicts me. When was the last time I thought about the issue of eternal punishment and eternal condemnation? Knowing the terror of the Lord when was the last time, knowing the terror of the Lord, we encouraged the brother who is consistently absent from the devotion? When was the last time, knowing the terror of the Lord, we encouraged the sister who is consistently dishonoring her husband? 
When was the last time knowing the terror of the Lord, looking upon the lost and damned condition of some of the people who walk through Rush River? Can't you look at them? Can't you hear their speech and know that they're damned and they're lost and they're standing under the weight of the judgment of God? And should they falter and slip into eternity? How can we brush shoulders with so many men knowing that the judgment of God hangs upon their head? And we say that we have the keys to the kingdom. When was the last time the issue of hell even entered into our consciousness? Do we believe it? Is there, could it possibly be that the mouth of this place is consistently being enlarged with the souls of men? I don't mean do we theologically believe it. There's a way we could, we could believe something, but it just be loose and theoretical. It makes no impact on our day-to-day -day lives. Is there a place called hell? Do we really believe that? Do we believe that the dead, foul-mouthed people who come through from metal waters are going to this place? Do we believe that our rebellious teenager, should he slip into eternity, could be going to this place? Do we believe that the family member who we say love, who's consistently growing cold in their devotion to God, is in jeopardy of going to this place? Or is it just something that we say we believe? If we say that these folks are in jeopardy of this place and we don't open our mouth or even pray and we're constantly coming in contact with these people either A we lack love or B we don't really believe it and I've had to wrestle with this I can remember the first time as a Christian deeply wrestling what I, what I say I believe about this versus what I really believe. I was at an airport. I was on a, I was on the way to Haiti, I think. And, I, and there was a gal there, and everybody was all upset and uptight because something with the plane schedule or something, in some kind of way we couldn't get on the plane. And everybody was just, it was tangibly angry. And there was a gal, she pulled out a ukulele, and she just starts playing it. It was almost as if, it was such, it seemed like such a beautiful scene. Like everybody seemed like they was calming down at the playing of this gal's ukulele. And she was singing this song. And I don't know why at that moment, but at that very moment, I started looking at the, how this scene when all these people looked so beautiful and it just looked like such a nice thing. And right at that moment, that had to be the Holy Spirit. And I don't know why the, the, the thought came to me. 
do you really believe that chances are the vast majority of these people are going to hell, these good, nice, wonderful, beautiful, kind, altruistic people? Could they really all be going to hell? Are they really? That thought ruined my trip. Because suddenly I had to come to terms with the fact that I did not believe as much as I proclaimed that I did. What do we believe versus what we say we believe? I'm wrapping up here. Lastly, this issue of living in light of eternity, it affects our capacity and our, and our ability to please God. I think that's an under underappreciated virtue or reality that we actually have within us the ability to please God. That should really blow our minds a lot more than we than we than our minds are blown. I mean some of us can't please our children or our wives and, and we can please God? That should mess us up. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers in the earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country that they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, this is a beautiful verse, I love it. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. They were looking for a city, and he was preparing it. He says, look, they're, they're strangers and they're foreign to the earth. Of that passage, it says, of these folks, the world was not worthy. Think about that. I think it's in John, they write, he writes a passage, he says that we may not be ashamed of his appearing. He's not ashamed of us when we're not ashamed of, of him. We're looking for a city, and for that reason, he's not ashamed. As they are looking toward a better country, it elicits the pleasure of God. Have we lived in such a way that we can say, that he can say of us, you see those folks there in Eltona, the world is not worthy of them. Because they're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. That elicits the pleasure of God. And if that doesn't encourage you, here's a verse that I, found, I find to this day, every time I read this passage here, there's a passage in Luke, it absolutely blows my mind when it talks about this, this banquet in the other, on the other side of eternity. One of the most powerful demonstrations of the blessing of living in light of eternity is in Luke 12, Luke 12 36 through 38. Listen to this verse. This always blows my mind reading this. It says, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants who, who the master finds them watching when he comes. 
Truly I tell you, he will dress himself up and he will serve. He will have them recline at the table. It will come to wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night toward daybreak. Think about the awesomeness of that promise. You're on the other side. He's found you watching and waiting, and he says, blessed is that one. So you get to the other side, and you're all shook up by the fact that you're even there in his presence. And he comes to you, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. The scripture says he girds himself up at his own bank when he comes and serves you, and he tells you, just recline back. Sit back. I'm going to come and serve you now. Just recline. Sit back. If that is not something that's encouraging and gives us the ability to, and it's almost too glorious of a thing, right? I will probably feel like Peter said, like, Lord, no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Could you imagine that? The creator of the universe for whom all things were made, Serving you, having you recline? Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to render unto every man according to the deeds done in this body. Could what do you say that to El Toda? Well done. I found you watching, living in light of eternity. Sit down now, recline at my table. I'll serve you. In this issue, this cannot remain pie in the sky. This has to touch us where we live. This has to touch us in our labors. This has to touch us and how we view the, the, the people that pass through Rush, Rush River. This has to impact us on how we deal with the brethren, this issue of living light eternity, this issue of setting up our lives to such a degree where we're understanding that day in, day out, these individual decisions that we are making has eternal consequence. I don't know about everybody else. But I want to hear well done. I don't want to hold back the best of the sacrifice for myself. The scripture says that we ought to be living sacrifices. It doesn't say it's nothing special. It says you should be living sacrifices, which is your reasonable service. That means it just only makes sense for you to live this way. But we'll never endure the rigors of self-denial in the advancement of God's kingdom if the issue of reward is not settled, if the issue of eternity is not settled. If we look at the proclamation of God's word on Sunday as a mere happenstance or a mere tradition or something we've set up, is there really a kingdom waiting? Is there really a hell? Not what we say we believe. 
You believe that which impacts your behavior. Amen.